ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Wednesday. That means one and only thing. The Dome Patrol is back. And as always, joining me is the one and only Ross Jackson. Ross, man, uh, a very interesting weekend and an interesting week now for the New Orleans Saints, both on and off the field. Yeah, man, things are, things are, look, it's the middle of the season. Here's where we are. We got out of the bye week. Um, and now here we are looking at the New Orleans Saints four and two, which is great. But, you know, there's always something cooking. There's always something cooking around here, man. Pleasure to be here with you as always. So let's talk about number four first. All right. <laughs> so the Saints pick up their fourth win. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this last week that we thought the seven and a half point spread was ridiculous. Right. And this game was a sack away, essentially, from being tied yeah. Um, going into and going into overtime. First half, very different than the second. Mm-hmm. Saints still doing some of the same mental mistakes defensively. Yep. Giving up plays. We talked about the receivers for Carolina being a bad matchup for the Saints, and they were. Mm-hmm. Everything that we thought <laughs> would happen basically is what we saw in this game. Yep. But still, what are your thoughts coming out of it? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that was – I took away a couple of things from this game, and a bit of it is that what we didn't see this week was the Saints go down two scores and have to claw their way back. We didn't see them pull away from this victory. We knew that they wouldn't. It's a divisional game. Like, that's what these games are. These games are always going to be close, or they're going to be weird. And, and this one was closer. You know, this is the second week in a row now. It's where the defense came up big when it mattered at the very end of the game. But still gives you so much concern around the rest of around, around the rest of the game. Um, you know, because it was the sack that pushed them just inches outside of field goal range. But there was also a tackle for a loss, the play right before that on the the questionable screen pass. And this is just, you know, an example of Matt Rule being a rookie head coach and, and making some decisions that are a bit different. I think if you look at the win percentage in terms of going for it versus um, versus kicking the field goal, not a huge difference, but still enough of a difference that, you know, it's hard to convince any coach to go for it on fourth and 18. Do you know what I mean? But the screen pass in that situation, the, the, the lack of protection in that situation to where the saints overloaded the right side, they're able to occupy both or, or the left side, excuse me, they were to occupy both the left tackle and right guard with Alex Anzalone and uh, Malcolm Jenkins, and then leave Marshawn Lattimore on a running back on a stunt. And that's what we also talked about was that the stunts were going to be a problem for Chicago's offensive line. Um, the defensive line for the Saints continues to win in the passing game and get pressure, but they're not getting home. They're not getting sacks. It's kind of the same thing we're seeing with the turnover problem. Now we're starting to see it with the sack problem as well. It's where we get these near turnovers, these these near sacks all the time, but the Saints not finishing in those situations. But, you know, if you flip over to the Saints offense, the Saints offense – 
you know, did exactly what they set out to do. They, they established heavy personnel early on in the game using, I think it was 11 different personnel groupings, which is impressive because it was only a 14 play drive to open up the game. So they used a ton of different rotations within that. A lot of two running back sets, a lot of three, I'm sorry, two tight end sets. Um, And they were still able to move the ball both in the passing game and in the run game, despite the fact that they didn't have both Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas. So a lot of good things to take away from this game, but you still have the same concern that you've had all throughout this season so far, which is that secondary and communication, not really communication back there, but focus, um, fundamentals, landmarking, all those types of things that they're still struggling with. So let's hit the, on those positives. You you mm-hmm. predicted a big game for Marquez Calloway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he came out and performed very well. Same with Traquan Smith. He had an opportunity to step yep. up, and he did so. Um, that's extremely important, especially considering, like you said, you out the top two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. So they, this, is their, this was their opportunity. Mike Thomas could be out another game. So right. either one of them is going to be called on to make some big catches um, this weekend. That was a, a huge factor for the set. Yeah, big time. And I personally think, <clears throat> excuse me, I personally think that there's a good chance that Emmanuel Sanders maybe doesn't play this week either. Just based on the timeline of the 10-day COVID IR, it would mean him playing without practice. And so we'll see. I mean, they, 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 like Emmanuel Sanders is an NFL vet and he's gotten a lot more comfortable in the system. He might be able to jump in and play without practice the way that maybe Michael Thomas could. But you know, maybe, maybe that doesn't work out for him. And how long does he carry symptoms too? Just because it's 10 days doesn't mean that he comes back in 10 days. He still has to test negative two days after that. And symptoms they're going to check might, his might wind. You know, they're going to want to see if he can get back. They've got measurements on his lung capacity. They've got measurements right. on all those things. So they're going to be very thorough. And Sean Payton, I don't think, will play around with that. Exactly. Um, with, with the player's health, especially when they feel like they can – if they've got somebody – and they, that's what they're going to count on is the depth yeah. of his position. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think when you look at all of that and then you look at, you know, these two, these two wide receivers that you mentioned, of course, uh, Traquan Smith and Marquez Calloway. And then let me give some credit too to Deontay Harris, who also showed up four catches over 50 yards. He had two really fantastic out route situations where he just, this, this defense did a really good job, excuse me, this offense did a really good job taking advantage of the cover three zone looks that Carolina was giving. Uh, you run cover three against Drew Brees, like Drew Brees is going to pick that apart. And when you have these receivers that have become really, really reliable in terms of finding holes and zones and being reliable on third down. The Saints converting 12 of 14 on third downs, and we're still able to do that even with the passing game, not just relying on the run game. So I'm really excited about these young receivers. I mean, the way that I look at it, they've got five receivers that are really talented. And this is a big change from last year where you saw maybe one receiver and then some flashes from Traquan Smith at different times. Um, and then you had some hope for Deontay Harris toward the end of the season, but this year he's really stepped into a new role with the offense, more expanded role, and they're making good on it. But I'm really excited to see what else Marquez Calloway does. He, he did have to leave the game with an ankle injury, but he told us after the game that he was feeling fine. He just got shaken up with it and everything. So we'll see the first injury report will come out later today on Wednesday. And so we'll see exactly what the designation is from that point. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him limited just out of precautionary approach but um i do think that either way i mean i think you still see some really good hope coming from the rest of that wide receiver core if they have to go without them especially because i don't want to jump too far ahead but looking ahead to these next couple of games there are certain games in which a run heavy focus would benefit the saints anyway and having traquan smith and marquez callaway what it did a lot during the game on sunday is that it didn't telegraph anything because those guys could catch passes and and Traquan Smith has shown that he can create yards after catch 
in a very specific way. Like he will run through tackles as opposed to him, you know, creating space. He kind of turns into, you know, a, 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 a healthy running back, you know, in a way in terms of being able to power through tackles. And that's been really nice to see. And uh, so I think that those are guys that have shown that they can produce in the run in the passing game, but are also fantastic run blockers. You can work them along with two tight end sets. Same thing. You have a bunch of tight ends that can catch and block. And so that really, really helps this offense regardless of whether or not they want to run or throw the ball. Phenomenal job uh, by the offensive line for the most part. <sighs> Created a lot of holes for the running game. Protected well. And, 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 and the most important part was we knew Carolina was coming in with an inexperienced secondary because of some injuries, et cetera, et cetera. So not allowing that pass rush and making it easier, especially when they're playing this zone coverage, not getting into not getting that penetration and the Saints being able to run just made it that more difficult for Carolina to adjust. Yeah, there were a couple of things that really factored into the run game for me. And obviously the offensive line, a big part of it. They did a really good job getting into the second level. Eric McCoy continues to get after safeties 12 yards down the field. <laughs> he just keeps finding those matchups and taking advantage of it. Uh, I love it. Um, they allowed, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, only four pressures in this game. Drew Brees was kept clean this in, pretty much this entire game with the exception of the one sack that was unfortunately a sack fumble turnover. James Hurst just got beat around the edge by Brian Burns, who we also talked about being a big issue. Uh, potentially if they had to do any snap, if they had to take any snaps without Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead only played 13 snaps in this game, but they were 13 incredible snaps. He was fantastic while he was out there and he kept trying to come back in Mm -hmm. and eventually they just, they just held him out. And so, you know, I, I think that you, you want to keep Teron Armstead healthy. And now that he's dealing with something that's not lower body, there's no reason to really push him, right? You're not going to lose him for any super extended amount of time if you can if you can take care of him. But if you keep letting him go out there and try to push too far, then you could end up with that extended couple of weeks and things like that, and you don't want to do that. So we'll see exactly what his injury situation ends up being as well. We'll learn more about that this week. But uh, ideally, you know, you have a healthy offensive line, but even still, the Saints' offensive line has found a way to produce with backups, and they continue to do that. So you saw four pressures, one sack allowed, and then they uh, paved the way for 4.8 yards per carry for the team, 5.9 for Alvin Kamara, which also just has to do with Alvin Kamara just being an insanely good running back. He's ridiculous. Um, And even Latavius Murray, 4.3 yards. The other factor – to this is kind of what we were uh, what we were talking about earlier with the the wide receivers not really mm-hmm. tipping the hand at all is that oftentimes you would see them run a couple of plays and then once Carolina would load the box then they would just go to these receivers on the outside and then end up lightening the box after that and then once you saw a six man box then all of a sudden they're running with Alvin Kamara in that situation or Latavius Murray in that situation because essentially you're putting one defender on that running back yep. in the run game and they'll take that matchup with either of those backs because Latavius Murray will run through you Alvin and Kamara will somehow yeah he can do both of them and so it's it's just I mean like you, you saw it really work you also saw sometimes they would go out there and those two receive those two back sets and in either motion Alvin Kamara out wide or motion Mike Burton out wide and then that also drew a linebacker out of the box and they would use that as a means of lightening the box as well. So the scheme was there and the offensive line was producing really well. And let's talk about Alvin Kamara, another game with over 150 total yards, um, just continues to have a phenomenal season. Um, you know, don't call it a comeback. Right. What he does. <laughs> and still though, by the people who know not underappreciated, but by this, the country at large, I think he's still very much an unknown commodity. You know, announcers know, players right. know, um, you know, Saints fans, of course, know. 
Right. But it's just interesting that he's not mentioned as much. You'd say Clyde Edwards Hilaire has oh. got more fanfare this year by national by the national outlets than Alvin Kamara and what he's done, which has been yeah. unparalleled, like you said, in total number of catches, yep. uh, yards per game, um, you know, his total all purpose yards. It's just he's he's just a, a unique weapon in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's been absolutely incredible. And I mean, it's everything that we've always seen from him in terms of his like contact balance and his, his ability to slip tackles and go limp. But he's also now, I mean, he's just packed on more strength. Like, you know, we just talked about Latavius Murray as somebody that can break a tackle and run through you or run around you. And now Alvin Kamara is doing the same thing. Alvin Kamara took a healthy portion of his runs, not around the edge. He went right up the middle quite a bit, right at the Carolina Panthers defense. And you see it work. It has worked time and time again. And you're also seeing the way that he is such a game changer for the Saints offense, just based upon the amount of attention that the defense has to give. You look at the big, I think it was a 32-yard pass on third down. Uh, It was the flea flicker to where they ran Alvin Kamara outside. The offensive line sold it. They carried everybody over to the play side. Then they end up throwing the ball back to Drew Brees. Then he hits Traquan Smith down, down the field. That's the respect you have to give Alvin Kamara. The entire defense went right with him. Because you have to. You don't have any choice. And the Saints did a great job disguising that. They created uh, a lane that those linebackers started to fit. And so it took them out of the play entirely. Eric McCoy peeled back to take care of the, the lone backside defender to open up the time that Drew Brees needed to throw the ball. It was just a perfect symphony. And it all starts with how much respect you have to give Alvin Kamara. If he has the ball in his hand, you have to know where he is. And, and that, that makes it an incredibly tough uh, and tough job to, to limit this offense and to try to limit the Saints offense because y- you have to give so much respect to that. But then you also have to give this respect to Drew Brees. Now you have to give respect to all of these receivers. There's so much on the plate. This is what we thought we were going to see from the Saints offense last year, but it became very weighted towards one player to where we would always talk about, oh, now you have this player and this player and this player and this player. Who are you going to stop? Now that's really a question for opposing defenses. And it all starts from Alvin Kamara. I think that, you know, a lot of people talked about, you know, shout out to Drew Brees for being able to produce with, you know, to both down to two wide receivers, but Alvin Kamara is a big part. He's averaging over 137 scrimmage yards so far this season or over 130 scrimmage yards, I'll say uh, per game this season. He's been absolutely outstanding. And I don't know how you even quantify what he's done. He's up there in like the Roger Craig era or Roger Craig area already in terms of his career in terms of having to create a comp, a comp for him. That's the only guy historically that's doing what he's doing outside of, of course, uh, Christian McCaffrey, who's doing it at the same time. And so it's been remarkable watching him so far this season. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, like you said, the the thing that we were waiting for was that consistency between the tackles, Mm -hmm. because that was the question when Mark Ingram left was what he's, was he going to be able to do that? Right. Last season, the injuries, I think he took some, he made some business decisions with his body at times last season. Right. And now that that security is pretty much in place, you feel confident, your body feels good. And like nobody works harder on their body in the off season than Alvin Kamara to be not only conditioned, but to take this abuse and dish it out. Um, It's, it's, it it is to me, it's just a, a, a big problem that he is not seen around the league as, as what he is, which is a franchise back. And in basketball, we would call it gravity. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about how players pull the defense to them mm-hmm. at the running back position to be able to do that no matter where you're lined up on the field. And to have the type of gravity is that yeah. multiple people have to keep their eyes on him 
makes them so, so important. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, I, you know, I've had a couple of back and forths with people on Twitter, fun, fun back and forths with people on Twitter talking about, you know, offensive player of the year and everything. Because I truly do believe that Alvin Kamara should be leading in terms of the, the conversation right now for offensive player of the year. If we didn't make the MVP award, the MVQB award, then I, I think he would have to be in that conversation as well. But uh, I think that when you look at everything that he's done so far, because of all the different areas he's able to do it, he's he's solidified himself as a much better pass blocker now in the backfield. He's somebody that can line up in the slot out wide. That somebody that you know operates from the running back position, of course, out of the backfield, both running and catching out of the backfield. And, and just like you mentioned, no matter where he is, there's gravity, right? He has he has a, a pull, and everybody's paying attention to where he is, no matter what. And he's helping this offense operate without what everybody thought would be the number one weapon. This year which is michael thomas come to find out this is a little bit more of a a 1a 1b type situation uh between the two of them because that's just what you're seeing from him is there's no there's i'm talking about him being comparable in terms of his numbers to roger craig but there's no real comparison to what he does if you put marshall falk and roger craig together together yeah absolutely you know because marshall falk was probably the greatest route runner as a running Mm -hmm. back we've ever seen just could yeah. line up as a as a wide out right. all game and would have been fine. And you see that same kind of precision out of Alvin when he runs mm-hmm. out wide. And then Craig was so that ability to to be physical at the point of attack, mm-hmm. to bounce it off that first hit and keep running. Um, you know, and that the, and Alvin also has that stop and start that a Marshall Falk had. I think yep. the one thing. <clears throat> that he has – that is a bigger advantage than the two of those guys is higher top-end speed. Yes, he yeah, he's got higher top-end speed for sure. His acceleration is, is from 0 to 60, I think, would be better as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the fact that he, he's got good enough hands to make contested catches too. I mean, you can throw the ball up to him. You know what I mean? You can expect him to go up and attack the ball. He has an instinct for that that's different than what you usually see at the position. Yeah, the you know, build can, is different. You yeah. know, like – you would say Craig is, you know, bigger, you know, firmer back. And even Marshall Falk was kind of stocky in his build, stocky. a round mm-hmm. guy, yep. um, but incredibly elusive. But Alvin has that you, – if you stood him up and lined him out as a wide receiver and just had him with that group, you wouldn't notice the difference. Right. Yeah. His body type is like that. And it's just that, that it's, it's a weird thing to see at the running back position because even Christian McCaffrey looks like a running back. Right. You know, and, and Alvin just looks like a, he's a football player. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's all I can really say about him. Because yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you could give him like a Walter Payton, you know, and let him throw the ball at times and it would look damn good coming out of yeah. his head. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he and Teddy did it a bunch during practices last year. That was like one of their favorite things. But it's interesting, you know, because like one of the big talking points too around the Saints offense has been – you know, kind of the where's Taysom Hill question because we're not seeing Taysom Hill producing in the offense the same way that we've seen him in the past. But I also continue to point people to, you have to remember that they were filling a lot of holes last year in terms of production that they're now getting elsewhere. They're now getting production from another wide receiver, another few wide receivers. They're now getting production from their star running back and Alvin Kamara because he's healthy. And so all of that takes away from, and Jared Cook, yeah. And so all of that takes away from what Taysom Hill was there to sort of be a stopgap for. If, you know, if the Saints needed to make up for production anywhere, then you'd probably see them lean a little bit more on Taysom Hill, particularly in the passing game. But they haven't had that need so far this season. Yeah, I think Sean Payton has figured out that he doesn't have to justify this anymore. 
Right. He doesn't have to cater to anybody. He's getting his rhythm with the people who, quite frankly, are the ones who are going to have to perform for them to win a Super Bowl. That's right. And Taysom Hill is not that guy. He is a, he's a an X factor occasionally, but if you need these other seven to eight guys to all be at a point where you can count right. on them um, before you get to Taysom. Yeah, we've seen what happens when Taysom Hill is the best player on the field, and that is an early wild card loss. Um, we can't go through this without addressing Drew Brees. Again, mm-hmm. he does what he does. Right. It's it's it, he didn't he doesn't go outside of that. But there's no one in the league better at doing this. And I have to give credit too to Sean Payton, the two of them, in continuing to find ways to make Drew successful in this offense, even when you know the limitations that are there. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a great job, and he had a great game. Uh, 29 of 36, 287 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Should have been three touchdowns, but they took one away from my dude, Marquez Calloway. I was mad about it. Um, not really over it yet, but it's fine. But when it comes down to what Drew Brees is doing, man, like it, it doesn't matter that this offense exists 20 yards in the line of scrimmage. It's more than enough. It's more than enough because Coach Payton is able to create a scheme that opens everything. A lot of what you saw was creating conflict defenders and scheming receivers open. And so as long as you have receivers that are disciplined, which is what you have right now in guys like Marquez Calloway and Traquan Smith, even under guys like Michael Thomas and, of course, Emmanuel Sanders, who are extremely disciplined, is that as long as they hit their landmarks and as long as they, their spacing is, is what it needs to be, the scheme is going to work and, and these receivers are going to open up. They did an amazing job scheming open Marquez Callaway in particular, allowing him to just settle in spots in the zone and the, the, you know, players that are either running routes that are complimentary on the same side of the field where they would overload that side of the field and then put routes underneath and above him to draw people away. And then one of those routes is going to be open some combination of those routes. And so they did a really great job just creating conflict for safeties, creating conflict for defensive backs and then finding holes between them and linebackers. And that's, that's the way that they worked to that entire game. And it worked. You know, and and that is exactly the type of game that Drew Brees is going to play. Like he'll carve you up if you're playing zone against him. He'll carve you up in man too. I mean, he's right now. You look at his stats: uh, eighty of one eleven in zone coverage with an eighty-three percent adjusted completion percentage. And if you look at man, he's thirty-three of forty-six with a seventy-seven percent completion percentage. So really, he's gonna he's gonna make it work no matter what. But against zone, particularly, he's he's gonna do that, and he's gonna do very well. And Coach Payton's gonna do a good job scheming that up. And you have guys who can make things happen after the catch, which is mm-hmm. always important for a quarterback at this stage. This is what yep. you have to have. And so the Saints have done a good job with that. I think we spent enough time on Carolina itself, but two things that come out of this, the continued disappointment in Malcolm Jenkins mm-hmm. um, and just not being consistent. And then the shade that Sean Payton <laughs> threw Marcus Williams' direction, the $6 million man. Woo. Um, yo, this locker room is wild. <laughs> and we haven't even got to Mike Thomas yet. Right, but right. This one alone. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, man. This was a lot. Like we've we've talked about Coach Payton being, you know, really transparent so far this offseason, starting with Larry Warford going in through the draft, the combine, everything like that. 
Um, he, he's been extremely transparent. He's been very candid. We've seen him taking shots at PFT on Twitter and things like that. Like he's, he's just, he's that dude this year. And that's just who he is right now to where he's going to let you know. And you can take what coach Payton for the, I think maybe for the first time in a long time, you can take what coach Payton is saying, and he's going to tell you exactly what he wants you to know. He'll tell you what he wants you to know. And he'll tell you what he doesn't need you to know. Like he'll let you know if he's not going to answer a question mm-hmm. either that, but that means that if he is answering a question, there's something he wants you to know. And he's going to say something he's calculated in that way. And so it's, and, and I think he's even more calculated because remember during the off season, he had to slip up to where he mentioned Drew Brees' final season. Yep. And so I think now he's even more careful about what he says. So you pay attention, right? You can pay attention. He's going to tell you what he wants you to know. And so I think that the, the disappointment in Malcolm Jenkins is understandable. The thing about Malcolm Jenkins is that, he's not making mental mistakes. Some of it is physical limitation. Some of it is physical limitation. And so I'm curious to see how much they adjust his role to see whatever it is he's going to be able to do. I think that's why one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why you see him playing up against the line of scrimmage so much is, and that's what they did with him last year in Philly as well, is that they used him as a, another blitzer, you know, a blitzing safety out the back. You've seen a couple of times where they'll run dime sets to where him and, and Chauncey Gardner Johnson, CJ Gardner Johnson are playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Gardner Johnson taking care of the uh, the slot while you add maybe PJ Williams says another safety deep with Marcus Williams. And so there's been some things, but one of the things that you expected to see with the addition of Malcolm Jenkins is the rest of the secondary get better. You expect to see communication get better. You expected to see them just be, to get smarter. Like the mental side of the game was going to improve along with the addition of Malcolm Jenkins. And I think that that's where I'm most disappointed is that we're seeing kind of the opposite of that. Right. It's not that the team is getting dumber or the team is hurting because Mark Malcolm Jenkins is a part of it. You're just not seeing the the imp- the the improvements that you expected to see with adding somebody who is a genius when it comes to football IQ. And then when you look at Coach Payton, Coach Payton's got no problem right now saying, Yeah, this is on the players. Like they, they gave us a product that we believed in coming out of training camp, and then now as an organization, the Saints aren't getting that translated out onto the field. And so I think that that's something where you question the players first and maybe you move to question the question, the coaching after that, but you try to light the fire for the players first. And so I'm curious to see what else this team does to light the fire when it comes to the secondary and the, the defensive backs, because that's where they need the most help right now. And that's going to be the deciding factor in the season. When you mm-hmm. look at the teams that are the best in the NFL right now, it's, they're teams who are going to punish you um, through the air for the most part. And, right. and the Saints have shown that that can be their Achilles heel. Let's do Mike Thomas. Mm-hmm. So we've had trade questions. It was to whether or not the Saints are interested in trading him, which I don't see how that's feasible or realistic. Um, but then you also have this alleged – locker room nickname of can't stand Mike that started floating around the Twitterverse. This stuff again seems so out of character for this franchise. I don't see, I don't see that being real. It just does. Nothing has ever, I, when we talked about this, that Mike Thomas can certainly be high strung, that he is a highly wound ultra competitive person, but I just don't see a team that has fought for him to get respect around the league where players have stood up for him and, and we're happy he got it paid as far as I saw. And he's mm-hmm. always supported them publicly. It just doesn't, it seems like as if 
people are trying to create drama in this circumstance. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. Or at least that's the way that I read into it. And like, you know, call me reductionist, call me diminishing, whatever. Like when I look at this, it, it, it just seems like it's all story, no, no follow through. I mean, I, I, all, all speculation, no story. Let me say it that way. This is, this has been something that like PFT has been, PFT went so far as to like to pin the tweet of the article to the top of there, like this is a what is supposed to be a creditable source for news that's going to pin their most controversial story. Like it, it's just been too much here recently, and I love that Coach Payton has been vocal about it and has been standing up for his team and standing up for the organization. We saw Michael Thomas tweeting out his support for the team before the game on Sunday. We saw that he was out. Um, he went and and caught dinner somewhere and watched part of the game, like watched uh, you know some of the other games and things like that, like. This is not a, a situation in which some player is revolting from the team and doesn't want to be a part of the team. This is, I'll, I'll, we know to never say never when it comes to the Saints organization. So I understand why people feel comfortable putting things out like this. I get it. But, you know, when I saw the can't, can't stand Mike thing, the, what I always thought about that, honestly and truthfully, we know that this is a team of people that loves to clown around and loves to clown each other. That is probably a nickname that they have for him, but it's on out of days. Yeah, like right. on days, like when he's right. doing stuff and they're like, oh, yeah. this is can't stand Mike. You know, right, like, right. Like it's 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 the way you would talk about you know your family member. You know what I mean? So where like you would you would mess with them, or like if we were joking around with one another. Like it's the same. It's that. It's just taken out of context. We also know that this is a team that regularly, as as far as we understand it, has players that come out and battle rap one another in the locker room. You know what I mean? Like tell me that can't stand Mike hasn't found its way into a bar. Like you can't, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's that kind of a thing for me to where it's probably something that's in jest or jovial that's being taken out of context. And I'm sorry, but if, if, if the fodder for potential trade demands comes from the nickname can't stand Mike, I have no reason to believe those trade demands in the first place. No. You know what I mean? Like they there, there's nothing going on here. Right. They would not, and Mickey Loomis is not that kind of person. Right. To sign a long-term deal with somebody at that money, knowing what the penalties are to that team, right. should he be moved too quickly? Yep. Or and underperform. Not like going they... to find equal value for that. You know, you're going right. to quarterback transition. You know all these things that, and you're going to have this fall apart in a year. I don't right. see it, man. This ain't Brandon Cooks. Right. The same Brandon Cooks, he's not worried about getting his catches. Mike Thomas may never get 150 catches again. So what? Right. If the Saints are winning and he's getting 110, <laughs> he's, he's good. Perfectly happy. Exactly. He's good. Yeah. And we know how we know how reluctant this team has been to pay skill position players in particular in the past. And now all of a sudden you've paid two of them to be your cornerstone players of the future and you you're trying to convince me that they're gonna blow that up. Again, we know to never say never. We know to never say it. We know this that. Is business. But, yeah, exactly. But it's also because of the fact that the Saints have predominantly looked at players' investment into players as a humongous part of that business and always look at it from, even the coaches look at it from the GM perspective. None of this makes sense, especially as something that could potentially happen before the trade deadline. Absolutely not. Are there any trades out there that you see the Saints making? Um, you know, people have, have speculated that they might go after defensive line help, um, mm -hmm. maybe something at the linebacker position, or even maybe some offensive line depth. Do you see anything happening right now? 
not necessarily. To be completely honest, I don't, I don't see anything happening. It doesn't mean that something won't happen, but we just know that from Sean Payton's track record that they don't usually make deals at the trade deadline. The, the one exception really has been Eli Apple. But outside of that, the only other really in-season trade that I can think of is Adrian Peterson. They don't really do that. They don't disrupt the locker room or, or shake up the locker room in that way in the middle of a season. They usually, and, and we've heard Sean Payton say this time and time again, they usually believe that the situation can be handled by the people that they have in the building. That's always been the emphasis. Even, in, even when they hit free agency in the offseason, if, if the Saints had the option between landing a big free agent or re-signing players that are already in their yep. locker room, they're going to re-sign players that are already in their locker room. Yep. That's always been the, the, the emphasis for them. That's always been the focus first. And that's what has given them the wins that they've had since 2017 is because they, they really work interior. Yeah, in that's that what you talked about a, a while back about having an individual plan for every player that goes mm-hmm. beyond a single year. It's a, right. They have progression plans and what they expect for those guys. It's up to them to meet them. And I think that that's been the best way to handle this business. That's like you said, there are very few front offices that think that way. It's a very right. progressive way. And I think it ultimately, and it isn't perfect, right? Um, but I think ultimately it ends up being fairer to the players. Mm-hmm. The Saints are very yeah. honest with their players for the most part about what they, what they plan to do with them. Now, like you said, things change and it ain't always right. Yeah. But I think by and large, I respect the way that they've handled negotiations, the way that mm-hmm. they handled, um, you know, like you say, they don't try to splurge and buy things because free agency is not, has rarely been for any team, the place where you find, you know, that that's salvation. It's like Reggie right. White, Deion Sanders, and ironically Drew Brees, but that yeah. was, that was, you know, the one landmark Very thing. different. Yeah, yeah. That was like two teams. It wasn't a bidding. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, right. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I see what you're talking saying. about yeah. a, a player changing the landscape of the league right. in their move. And nobody could have predicted what Drew Brees right. was going to do. Yeah. 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 My bad. Um, but I think that the other part of it too, is that, you know, when you, when you look at who the saints have pursued before, whether it be free agency or via trade, Emmanuel Sanders is a perfect example because it's both right. They, they looked at potentially trading for him at the trade deadline last year, weren't able to get it done. They weren't able to compete with the offer that San Francisco had on the table. And then they just went and got him in free agency the year after, not just went and got him, but then they happened to be able to go and get him the year after they knew exactly what his fit was going to be. He was somebody that fit the scheme. Uh, Coach Payton has he could have, if he could have gotten Emmanuel Sanders in 2012, he would have gotten Sanders in 2012. Like he has loved the the fit that Emmanuel Sanders could have in his offense. And so that is somebody that he has been following for a very long time that he's been interested in having. And it's so it's a very, it was a very specific fit. They knew exactly where, so somebody would have to be available on the market first of all, because the saints can't just call somebody up and say, Hey, we want this person and we'll send you this, that, and the other for it. Some, Players aren't on the market. There are players that are not going to be traded because of their contract, because of very other different situations. You have to also remember that contracts travel with players when they get traded. Mm-hmm. So the Saints only have a limited amount of cap space available right now, and they're not going to want to make a bunch of corresponding moves to clear up cap space right now like they would be willing to at the beginning of the season or in the offseason. It's not as simple. But deals still that need to be done. Right, yeah. And so you look at the fact that the player has to be on the market. The player's contract has to make sense. The player's term of contract has to make sense. You can't trade for somebody that's got guaranteed money next year. You can't afford it. 
Nobody can afford it. That's one of the reasons why the trade market has mostly been, you look at players like Yannick and you look at players like uh, Everson Griffin, they're one year or franchise tag deals that are looking for future contracts afterwards, not people that already have existing future money guaranteed. So that's another thing that you have to consider. And you have to consider the player fit with the team. And then you have to consider the compensation. We know that the Saints are ready to part with their second round pick whenever and at any point. They'll do it. It does not matter because they'll just trade next year's third. They'll trade next year's first to get back into the second round. They'll do whatever they want in terms of getting moving around in the draft. They don't care because as far as they're concerned, they have an endless amount of picks because you can always trade next year's picks. And so they don't mind. And we know that they were willing to move it before the season because they were going to move they were going to move a, a second round pick and a player and rewrite the NFL rule book to get Jadavion Clowney in place. Right. So we know that they're willing to make a move. We know that they have assets that they're willing to part with. There's at least one player and one pick that they're willing to part with uh, if the if what they're getting back is right. But you have to get the other three things right too. You have to get the other three things right as well. And that's why trades don't happen as often in the NFL as we feel like they have. They don't happen like they happen in the NBA. Not, especially not in the season. Yeah. Especially in the middle of the season. Exactly. Because you're talking about prorated contracts, which means that they're less. Don't get me wrong. But you also have to think about, do they have guaranteed money down the road? Do they have roster bonuses down the road? Things like Because all that transfers and comes back to New Orleans. Signing bonuses get eaten by the other team. That's because that's already paid to the player. But anything guaranteed after that, then the Saints are on the hook for. And so that's why you end up having trades before the season, like the Kiko Alonso trade, where they had time to move some other stuff around and they were able to get Miami to accept taking on money. Very rarely are you going to see a team at the trade deadline move a player and say, yes, we'll take on some of that money. No, they're trying to shed money. Right. That's, that's why they're selling. That's the whole point. And so all of those things have to align. And so for me, when I look at potential players that are out there, I look at players that maybe have one or two years left in their deal, but the second year is non-guaranteed. It's one of the reasons why the Harrison Smith idea actually financially works because he fits into what the Saints have available for a cap space this year. And then also doesn't really tag on to next year. They can move on from him. He has an out. They can cut him. It's non-guaranteed. So it's actually... There's actually something, but is the fit right? I don't think so, because I think you're going to look at Marcus Williams, because in that case, you're looking at replacing Marcus Williams or giving Marcus Williams some help, playing more dime packages, things like that. But Marcus Williams plays so much of the deep safety role, while Harrison Smith, more and more throughout his career as he's aged, much like Marcus Williams, is playing more and more closer to the line of scrimmage. He still plays that deep safety role, don't get me wrong, but is he playing it at the level that makes sense to swap out the top end of what Marcus Williams can give you? That's a question that the Saints would have to answer because the other part of it is that does the worst version of Harrison Smith look at, look better than the worst version of Marcus Williams and how often do you see either? So then there's that another player that I'm personally very interested in is the free safety. Who's also in the last year of his, his uh, deal, his rookie deal, excuse me, is Marcus May out of the New York jets jets ain't going nowhere. They, they're already talking about shipping out Quinn and Williams, who was a, uh, you know, a first round pick for them just two years ago. I like the idea of bringing in a guy like a Marcus May who you have on a one-year loan and then he hits free agency and then you don't have to worry about him because you have an incredible safety class coming in from the, uh, from the collegiate ranks this year. And so that, those are kind of the ones that really stand out to me. I think that any, any moves along the defensive line are probably a good idea. I don't think that the Saints have to give up assets for that. But, you know, if you can move a day three pick and get a Carlos Dunlap or something like that that helps you at the, at the defensive line, there's nothing wrong with building on what is – probably the strongest part of your defense, but still could use improvement. There are two players I want to ask you about because I just was thinking about them this week at the quarterback mm-hmm. position for next mm-hmm. season. Yeah. When, and I think that both would be both 
would be available for trade. Mm-hmm. Number one is um, out of Washington, the um, oh, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, they talk about it. He could be given away for a third round pick to have a guy who is valued as a number one, fifteen pick overall on his rookie deal. Considering that a Jameis Winston could walk away and or certainly command uh, tens of millions on the open market, mm-hmm. um, and only having Taysom. Uh, could Haskins be a, a a good risk if a third or maybe the Saints get it, you know, a third and a protect, a, you know, protected third or a fourth right. to get a Haskins or and, or can dump? What if it's a trade Taysom for right. a Haskins mm-hmm. type deal? Yeah, I like I I'm a fan of Dwayne Haskins, and I would just want him to be somewhere that is going to play the style of offense that's going to work for him and that's going to give him a chance. And so if I had the option to bring him to new Orleans, I would go for it because you're also getting a quarterback on a rookie deal, which helps you massively moving forward as well, because now all these players that you've signed and extended, you're good. But then now you also have space to bring in additional talent as opposed to paying 16, 17, up to $20 million for a quarterback, depending upon when you make that deal. Because the thing about the quarterback contracts is that it's never about how good the quarterback is. It's about when with the timeline, right. When you sign them. And so I think that Dwayne Haskins though, is a little bit more of a, uh, an off season move. Than that's he what is. I'm saying. Both of these yeah, yeah. Be off season because off-season. that's when Great. I think you could do it. I don't think Washington yeah. gives him up during this season because they right. can't this... count on the two in front of him. No, not at all. So I would love that, especially because of the fact that the saints would have by the end of the season, they would be awarded their third round compensatory pick for Teddy Bridgewater. And then essentially at that point you flip Teddy Bridgewater for Dwayne Haskins. If you now, trade that third round pick, the other option is more expensive, but it's still that we talked about this. Mm-hmm. It's a reasonable deal, in my opinion. Yep. Matthew Stafford, at 32 years old, you know, is on pace to, to numbers, touch, yardage, touchdowns, mm-hmm. number of attempts, completions. He's going to be up in there in the top five when he retires. That's, yeah. that's just a lot. But at 32, having never had a running game, one 1,000-yard rusher in his career, and that was Reggie Bush. Yeah. Having played, never only getting to have two receivers together for essentially two years when right. he had Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate playing together. Yeah. No offensive line. No defense of any sort. No coach. No. <laughs> I mean, he did his best with, with Jim Caldwell. Yeah. But you got to remember, Jim Bob Cooter was his offensive coordinator. <laughs> right. And this year, it's, it's, I mean, these last two years under Matt Patricia have not helped his growth. But yeah. we're also talking about a guy – Number one in the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks yep. since he entered the league has shown he can be physically tough, has shown that, he's a, that his teammates respond to him. And I think at 32, again, not at his contract is only two years left on that deal. Right. A very, to me, a very worthwhile risk if you're looking for a veteran with a lot of arm talent and a guy who would be more than interested, I think, yeah. in restarting his career at some place where he could do big things. And remember, this is also a Texas guy who would right. be near his home. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it could be a really good fit. Yeah. And it's a style of offense that he's very comfortable with. I look, if you give me the option to go from Drew Brees to Matthew Stafford, I'm doing that all day. 
Like I'm happy, I'm happy to do that. And the thing about the key thing about it is that if the Saints wanted to ride with, you know, Matthew Stafford until he's 38, 39, 40, um, then the opportunity that you have with him is that his contract, as you mentioned, is good for another two years after this. So after that, you're into the 17 game season. You're into the expanded TV well, deals. You're into the expectation at that point is that the salary cap begins to swell. So you have the the ability to make space for him and continue to add talent. And then you're adding talent to a team that has Matthew Stafford. You're with, uh, with Michael Thomas, with Alvin Kamara, with a good defense, with a great offensive line, as you mentioned, and with Coach Payton. Yeah. Yeah. And then you continue to add assets through free agency because people are going to, that's going to keep your team as a destination. Right now, New Orleans is still a destination for players. Like players want to play in New Orleans. That's something that would keep that alive and is a, is a lesser question mark. I don't even think there's even a question really about Matthew Stafford and his talent. I know he doesn't get the shine that he should get, but maybe that works in your advantage if you're trying to set a market price for him. Uh, but it, it, it's far less question marks than you would have for a guy like Dwayne Haskins. And even, I would even say Jameis Winston because Jameis Winston, you still have to know are the improvements that I think are being seen in practice, just judged by the fact that coach Payton continues to compliment him without, you know, unsolicited Mm -hmm. either. He's trying to trade him or he likes him. And I think it's probably more likely he likes him. Uh, So I think they are seeing those improvements in practice, but you don't yet know if that's going to translate to the football field. Right? Is that going to translate full speed, full contact? And you don't know if wants to stay. I mean, right, you that's don't the other thing. He's not actually on contract next year. There are you going still to have be to sign opportunities him. for him. That's absolutely – I mean, that's a certainty is that somewhere we know that every year there's going to be somebody who just falls off the map and Jameis could be, will be right back in the mix. It could be Philadelphia yep. looking for somebody that, mm-hmm. you know, car, they can move on from Carson Wentz. It could Washington. be in Dallas. Mm-hmm. If Dak Prescott doesn't go back, it could be Washington. There mm-hmm. are a number of places. It could <laughs> it's be all NFC. It's all NFC East teams. It, that we've it named could be Jacksonville. It could, <laughs> yeah, Jacksonville. If, I mean, mm-hmm. you could end up having him as the placeholder in the Jets if you draft Trevor Lawrence. I mean, right. you, know, you never know where it could end up um, a year from now. So, right. yeah, Jameis has all these options that will be available or – he could be the guy in Detroit. If you, you know right. what I'm saying? Like he could easily Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> there's it, a lot of places that can be in that market next year, man. Like there's, there's, and there's not enough young talent for, excuse me. There's not enough rookie talent for it. Nope. To support so, it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're just options. And so, yeah, but those were a couple that just hit me this week. And I was just like, man, it, yeah. it, I love the idea of Matthew Stafford in new Orleans within the next couple of years and moving forward with Sean oh, Payton. man I think I think it just it opens up different things for that offense and you know mm-hmm. he's going to stay in the pocket to make those throws yeah. he's, he's done it time and time again yeah. um yeah I think they would be a fantastic fit together and Stafford is a very smart football player extremely yeah like, absolutely it's underrated because he's played for a, a bad organization mm-hmm. um I was low on him you know, there was a time when I thought he wasn't going to meet his potential, but now I'm seeing, you know, you, the more you watch him and, and look at him on tape, you see that it's the organization that's failed him. Right. And I'm, I've been a Lions fan for 40 years. It's right. I know how bad that organization is. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's look ahead. The next four games for the saints, um, <clears throat> Chicago this weekend, then Tampa, on the road, mm-hmm. then home for San Francisco and Atlanta. This is a big step up these next three as far as the defenses that the Saints are going to face. Yeah. They have their wins primarily have come against 500 teams or worse. 
mm-hmm. outside of the win over Tampa, which wasn't isn't the Tampa right. we're seeing now Inco- incomparable. Those two yeah, teams are not, not all the same. <laughs> you're looking at the Saints hadn't played a defense in the top ten outside right. of that again Tampa week one. All three of these are top ten with Chicago at ten, Tampa three, San Francisco at five. Scoring defense. All top 10, Chicago 7, Tampa 8, San Francisco 5. Pass defense, Chicago 8, Tampa 9, San Francisco 3. The only way you get a big chink is that Chicago's run defense is 16th, but Tampa number 1 against the run, San Francisco number 9 against the run. Right. Atlanta, that's just bad. So yeah. we're not even worried about that one. We're not going to talk yeah. about it. But this three-game stretch, we saw Chicago falter and look not great, but this is still a game that's going to be played in cold weather. Yep. It's a very physical defense. And, again, the Saints can be shorthanded at receiver mm-hmm. against a much better pass defense. Yeah. I think the only saving grace that you have is your run game against uh, Detroit. Oh, excuse me. against We just talked about Detroit. Against Chicago uh, in particular. And, and, and I will say, like, I'll give the Saints credit. Over the past couple of years, they've faced top 10 defenses, top 10 passing defenses, and have been able to produce because so much of it comes down to scheme and, and Sean Payton being better than those defenses. And, and of course, the Saints executing better than those defenses, but it, it's been Sean Payton's scheme a lot that opens that up in addition to the individual play of Michael Thomas and Drew Brees in particular and Alvin Kamara. Um, so I, I'm not going to... I do think that the Saints are going to be able to produce on the offensive side, but you'll know immediately that if they can't, then it's a long game for them because that's the way they're going to do. Because you also look at the Saints, like the Saints are seventh right now in the NFL when it comes to total yards. But it's the points, it's the penalties. Right, but they're 26 when it comes to scoring, right? And it's over 360-some-odd yards of penalties on the defensive side. And so it's been – it's, you know, you have to look at the hidden yardage that's in there in terms of the penalty game, starting field position, things like that. Turnovers on your, in your own territory, even though it hasn't been, you know, they've been few and far between, still they're there. And so you, you have to keep those things in consideration. Um, and you have to keep in consideration too that for this team, this wasn't supposed to be the tough stretch. <laughs> the, t- the tough three game stretch was supposed to be, you know, part of the road trip coming out and then hosting Kansas City. And then a couple of weeks later, you've also got Minnesota at home on Christmas Day or a couple of days later. And so this wasn't supposed to be the, the tough stretch, right? The, the, the original tough stretch still exists beyond this. So this is a really important three games for the Saints because it sets the tone for the rest of their season. I never picked the Saints to win week nine in Tampa Bay. That's just, that's, that's tough. That's a place where they struggle. That's a place where games are always weird. Ray J games are always strange for the Saints. Oftentimes they'll lose even, not even at any real fault to themselves. It's just some wild and wacky thing. It's a kick return. It's, you know, things like that. You never know. But now you're talking about a Tampa Bay offense and defense that have been just outstanding over these last few games. And I know that we want to pretend that they're not, but they are. They've been fantastic and they played very well. Now they're adding another weapon in Antonio Brown. He may or may not be ready in week nine. He may or may not be a huge factor. So it kind of depends on, you know, what's going on but with Godwin as well. But you got it. Exactly. You still have to put a guy on him. You still have to keep him from catching the ball. And one of the best, and Deuce and I talked about this not so long ago, one of the best games against the Saints in terms of a receiver up against the Saints was that week 15 Steelers game that Antonio Brown had against the Saints. It was an incredible game. So if he's back to, you know, if he jumps back in, it's his first game and over the season, basically. Yeah. So we have to play since that like week four with the Patriots. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I think that there's, there's something to be said in terms of knocking the rust off. Don't get me wrong, but even still like, 
you still have Chris Godwin, you still have Mike Evans, you still have uh, you know a tight end room that's been that's been impressive, and you still have a Tom Brady that's been really good. You know what I mean? It's been and you very have a good. solid and running have, back group. Yeah, and you have a secondary that's not been good at all for the Saints defense, and so that has to see improvement here. And the problem with it is that they might not be tested too much in the Chicago game to really learn who they are before they travel to Tampa to take on the Bucks. And so there's something about potentially looking past the Bears too much that could sneak up and bite the Saints because they're trying to get ready for that offense, certain things like that. So, But you, you got to get home to, against the Bears, though. That's the thing, right? What the Bears do is they do have that, again, that wide receiver profile. Right. Of having one guy who can really stretch the field. Yeah. And then having, you know, guys who can make people miss – it's that, that pressure has to be there yeah. because if Nick Foles, does, we know if Nick Foles has time, he can be a very competent quarterback, but if you put pressure on him, he, he gets very inaccurate. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that's really interesting about Nick Foles too, is that if you look at his numbers, when he throws quickly, he performs better than when he holds on to the ball. And what that means is that He's hold, and that means that he, he, he has trouble when he holds on to the ball when coverage is solid. Yep. That's, a, that's a really specific thing that you can take away from this, is that if the coverage can take him deep into the snap count, then you'll force, him to, right, you'll force him to make mistakes. You'll force him to misread. You'll force him to panic because he knows by the clock that the pass rush is coming, even if the pass rush doesn't win immediately. All of that gets into his psyche, and that's where the completion percentage drops to 50% from 72, if I remember correctly. The, the interceptions jump up. The, the sacks jump up because he has trouble making decisions deep into the snap clock, into the play clock there after the ball's been snapped. So the coverage has to be solid, even if the pass rush is getting home because they used to have to give him a reason to hold on to the ball. If he's throwing the ball in less than two and a half seconds and you're not giving your your secondary time, excuse me, you're not giving your pass rush time to get home because the secondary is not holding up coverage. So when you see a quick, young, fast cat like Darnell Mooney, who has been outstanding for them so far and, and probably hasn't yet gotten the, the attention he deserves to get in that offense because Matt Nagy makes weird play calls, if he, they line him up in the slot and they get him matched up on, say, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who struggled against that physical profile just this week with Robbie Anderson in the slot – you're going to be able to go 10 yards at a time, eight to 10 yards at a time down the field in less than two and a half seconds and get those quick passes that get your, get your rhythm going for the offense. And then you start dedicating linebackers into coverage and the shadow, shallow part of the field, which opens up the deep part of the field. And so it's a chess, it's a chess match. Everything has the reaction that goes on for you know, the ripple effect that continues through. And so you have to be one step ahead of that. And yeah. so can Matt Nagy do that? We'll find out because the problem with Matt Nagy is that he also doesn't chip edge rushers. He doesn't dedicate double teams on the interior. So the pass rush for the saints should see, particularly with stunts and the, the motion that they use and the blitzes that they use, their blitz package should be able to get pressure on Nick Foles, but you still have to cover long enough for that blitz package to still get home. And we saw, you know, and I hate to do this to Marcus Williams, but again, when you are attacking a man who's covered and you're the deepest man back and you watch people go by you, that can't happen in this environment, man. Because mm -hmm. scores are going to be not maybe, you know, the Saints are going to have to drive. They're going to have to sustain right. drive in Chicago. So this is not going to be a game that's played in the 30s. It just, right. I just 
see that. You saw even against Philadelphia, and Philadelphia dominated a game. They didn't rack up points. Right. Um, so I think that this is a, a much tight – you know, it's, it's going to be a tight game. The Saints could win it by 10. They could because yeah. we know Chicago's bad. They're really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important for the Saints in this game. And, and, and in their two road games so far, they have not performed at their best. You know, the Raiders game, they just got out physical by the Raiders. And then they got, you know, you go with the um, last time on the road, <clears throat> excuse me, against the Lions, you have to hold on to win that ball game. Right. So th- I think it's important for their psyche to go on the road and control a game and get out of there and play as mistake free as possible before you go to Tampa, where you have to be near perfect, um, right. you know, to, to win. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and the thing that's really interesting, too, is if you look at the Saints, from the offensive side, they're going to want to control the clock. And I think that that's important, right? Because we've also seen the Saints do that over these last couple of games. One of the reasons why they are, you know, they have a good defense when it comes to total yards is because the offense doesn't get a ton of possessions. Opposing offenses, you know, the, the Saints had six, six meaningful drives last week, which doesn't include the kneel down and everything at right. the end of the game. But they had six meaningful drives, and, and, and all of them were over eight, eight plays. You know what I mean? They also had three of them that were 13 plays or 14 plays. And so they've been controlling the clock and winning the time of possession. But the problem is that even though you're winning time of possession, there was a point to where the Saints had run 63 plays and the uh, Panthers had run 33 plays or 36 plays. And the Saints were only winning 27 to 24. You know what I mean? If you're controlling the clock that much, and if they're not getting plays off, that usually means because it's a series of quick drives that, that you're ending with your defense. That was not the case. It's just that's how quickly Carolina was able to score. So even if you're winning in the clock, you still have to win on the defensive side because just because you're only giving them a shorter clock to work with, if they're going down and scoring touchdowns in four, five, six plays, you're not helping yourself at all. They're still not getting off the field on third down, though. Right. And like you said, Carolina ran 43 plays. 43 plays. Right. That's And you give up 24 points. Yeah. That's that That's, point per play is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, it's the things that used to you you used to be able to count on count on is that the Saints got off the field on third down and that they were going to be able to, you know, like you said, these yards per play still is ridiculous. Yeah. They're making regular offenses look elite and the Panthers were almost at 7 yards per play. That's the kind of stuff that LSU's been putting up is seven, right. giving up seven yards per play. That's right. not what you should be doing in the NFL, NFL against the Panthers, who are missing too much for you to be doing for them to be yeah. putting up that against a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. Yeah, and the the Marcus Williams play is a really interesting one to look at because the concept that they ran specifically attacks Marcus Williams guarding half the field. They specifically went at him on that play side, on the field side, because they know that that's where Marcus Williams is going to be. They run the post over the middle, and then they run the out underneath that to draw Marcus Williams down, and it works. Because whoever, whichever decision he makes, if he makes the right decision there, Teddy has nowhere to go with that ball. Teddy has nowhere to go with that ball. And sure, Mark, uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins could have played with a little bit more depth in his zone as well because they were attacking the middle of the field. But it was also Tampa too. So if you're attacking the middle of the field, that's, that's the coverage you want to go up against. You want that middle of the field open defense that you're going to be able to attack. But even just the play combination, the route combination over on the left side, on the field side, was specifically targeted at, at targeting Marcus Williams. And so you can't keep doing that. Like you can't keep having those mental mistakes. If you get beat, 
like you get out one-on-one and you're there and you're in position and somebody just makes a great catch. Fine. Can't hold that against you. But if you're making the mental mistakes and somebody's running free and DJ Moore gets one of these every time he plays the saints, every time he plays the Saints. And so now is it Darnell Mooney? Is it Allen Robinson? You know, and and the thing that would be really interesting is to see like your most consistent corner for the saints has been Jerome Jenkins so far this season. He's been, he's played extremely well but he's been playing over on that, that short side. And so when you look at kind of where you want to match up your corners, Marshawn Lattimore defends the prototype of Allen Robinson best, but he's also not performing at his best so far this season. You could take Janoris Jenkins and, and they've done this before. It's where last year they were putting Eli Apple on Julio Jones and then putting Marshawn Lattimore on Calvin Ridley. And we've seen them swap those, those corners before. But if you do that, then you potentially end up lining up Marshawn Lattimore with Darnell Mooney, who is the short, quick, fast, switchy receiver that he struggles against. So it's, it's the pick your poison type situation. And my preference is to keep him with Allen Robinson, keep him against the prototype that he usually fares well against, because then at least you're giving him the opportunity to have some positive there. Then worrying about limiting Allen Robinson to the points where you're going to give up huge plays to, to the deep portions of the field, which is where Darnell Mooney would attack. And so, you know, the Saints have a lot of decisions to make amongst the secondary personnel wise, matchup wise. And, you know, this game isn't really going to be a barometer for them in particular, but certainly if they struggle, it sets a tone. It sets a tone because you're looking at a team in the Chicago bears that just had their first 40 plus yard play on offense on Monday night football. The Saints have already given up six of those which is the, the, highest, the second highest in the NFL, second most in the NFL. And so they have a lot that they have to figure out over at the secondary. And as you mentioned, this is a really important stretch, and this sets the tone for who they are. Yeah, this is, it's, no matter what, this is still a 5-2 and two Bears team right. you know, that's ahead of you in the standings. Mm-hmm. You need to beat them. And it, it, it doesn't, the how doesn't really matter other than you want to see, like you said, the elimination of the mistakes. You don't want right. to see them. But the, the last part on this is, the cold is going to have an impact Yeah, it, it, on getting Drew's arm loose, on route running, all of those things, it does have an impact. So as you said, they've got to continue to lean on that running game that has been so effective for them. This is a game where you should, in my mind, if both Latavius and, and Alvin Kamara are not at 15 carries apiece, I'd be surprised. Right. right. Yeah. I think you lean on them. I mean, we saw them lean. Uh, Alvin Kamara was out the last time that they played, but we saw them lean. I think it was 27 carries to Latavius Murray in that game. And he put up over hundred yards, a pair of touchdowns. Conversely over on the opposite side, the bears ran seven times in that game, seven times, twice in the second half. And so if the defense can continue to, to perform where it has performed, which is limiting the, the run game, then you might, I don't think you're going to see a repeat of seven carries, but they only had 14 carries against Carolina. Carolina only had 14 carries against them last week. And so I think that that's a, a major portion is the run games going up against one another and the Saints having the better offensive line in that situation, uh, but also Chicago having the better front, four, front seven in that situation. And so it, it, it will be an interesting balance, but I think you're right. I mean, if you see Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray getting around 20 touches a piece in terms of also being a part of the run game, that shouldn't surprise you because they should lean on those guys. They should absolutely lean on them for this game because they've been gashed already in Chicago in the run game. We saw the three back rotation for Los Angeles and the way that that worked in Los Angeles's favor on Monday night. I think you can see the saints replicate that same type of game plan. Um, do you think that this stretch, I mean, you know, these four games, I, I guess the two and two um, 
thinking that Chicago is going to be difficult. I know the Saints, everybody says, well, the Saints have won their last four in a row. But against the Bears, they've never won at Chicago when the Bears finished the season with a winning record. Right. Their last four wins all came against 5-11, and 5-11, and 8-8, eight and 8-8 eight and eight and eight Bears teams. Mm-hmm. The three that they lost in Drew Brees' career were against Bears teams that made the playoffs. This right. Bears team has the potential at 5-2. and two, You have to still give them a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. Yep. This is a test. It, it may not be the toughest one, but this is a test. Yeah, absolutely. No, it 100% is. I think the Saints can get away with a win here. I, the games where I'm most concerned about them are weeks 9 and 10. Those are the two games Tampa where I'm most concerned about them, Tampa and San Francisco, because those defenses, they don't have a weakness. <laughs> There's no, you know, for the, for the Chicago side, for the Chicago game, you can say, all right, well, they'll probably just lean a little bit further on the run game. But when it comes to Chicago, excuse me, Tampa Bay and San Francisco, there's no alternative, right? They're great on defense, <laughs> period. And so that's going to make, that's going to make it tough. For the, the thing that's winning the games for the Saints right now is their offense and their defense making a key play at the end of the game, but only because the offense put them in that situation. You know what I mean? And so if the offense can't produce, which again, we've seen them produce. That's why I say I'm concerned about those two games. I could see a two and two situation if they struggle to produce over on the offensive side, strictly specifically focusing on those two games. Yeah. Cause with San Francisco too, is, they can close you either way. Right. Because they can use George Kittle in the receiving game, and I think he's the best tight end in football. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they're going to run in both of those offenses, whether you're talking about Tampa or um, San Francisco at this point, are built to minimize mistakes. Right. And yep. you, so you're not going to get a lot of extra opportunities through turnovers unless you force them. Um, but you're not expecting casual play out of those teams where the ball is going to be loose, where you get that opportunity. And both of them have people who can make, ex- you know, enough players who can make explosive plays, whether it's a Debo Samuel, whether it's, you yep. know, um, Brandon, I know their new rookie that's there. Brandon right. Ike's having a great year. Um, and then uh, of course with Tampa and all that they have. So yeah, that, those two, that two game stretch is going to be not only mentally taxing, but those are physically those are going to be some hitting games. Yeah. yeah. And then you come out of those games and into our three game road trip, you know, pretty soon, pretty soon yeah. after that. Cause the know, Atlanta with... game is, is kind of your rest. Right. Uh, hopefully. It, yeah. It, hopefully. It's still Atlanta, <laughs> and it's still right. the saints in Atlanta. And, and we thought right. that last yeah, you year. have to, that's one of the ones where you have to, you have to have sort of the opposite perception of what you have is with Chicago, where you're giving Chicago credit because of their record and you're not counting them out when it comes to, Tampa, oh, sorry, when it comes to Atlanta, you have to ignore the records entirely because it's a divisional game. And, it's and you Falcons. can't, you can't it's rush. And it's a, yeah. Yeah. It's you okay. can't rest your laurels on it. Nope. Uh, man. Fantastic. As usual. <laughs> I think we've given the folks plenty to chew on. Um, great insights as always. Thank you. Brother. Tell folks, and and you, again, how many, I don't know how many podcasts you've done this week. You did another one already. Yeah, I went and joined. So I, I did I did a couple of different things. I was on Bears Underground. I was on Chicago Audible as well. Uh, both of those um, uh, both of those shows great over in Chicago. Uh, Chicago Audible in particular, really awesome following there. And then uh, Larry, who does um, who does uh, Bears Underground, is also fantastic. So you can go and check out a couple of interviews from those two. Uh, of course, you know. Locked on Saints every Monday through Friday. I just did my film watch uh, episode today to where we broke down three uh, impactful plays from the Carolina game. So we took the 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 um, the flea flicker, flea flicker, because the offensive line play in that is just 
phenomenal. Uh, the we looked at the sack at the end of the game, and then we looked at the busted coverage for the DJ Moore touchdown, uh, and then broke those down. Took some questions from mailbags, things like that. So a lot of that, and I also have a uh, with Deuce and Elias. We did our Hudak confessional on uh, Tuesday. We got another one coming up tomorrow, Thursday night. This one. We got a couple of radio appearances, things like that, man. You know, I'm trying, dude. You know, we're just, we're just putting it out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And so, just uh, trying to be everywhere we can be living that yeah. visa life. That's know? right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, so I'm loving it, man. I mean, the community is so strong. The community is great. And so just glad to be able to be a part of it, man. And, you know, to keep up the easiest way to keep up with all of it is just follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Ross Jackson, Nola, uh, and keep up with it that way. And I want to, I want to close with this because I, I, I really believe this. Mm-hmm. Those of us who are not considered the legit folks, mm-hmm. I think this year, you know, whether it's you or Nick or Deuce or mm-hmm. Brian and Nader and all these folks, man, the amount of work that's getting put in, the amount of time yeah. and effort to go beyond, and it, this isn't to, to dismiss anybody. It's not to no, hurt, no, 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 but. I think some it's absolutely without a doubt the some of the best work is being done by the independent people out there who are going beyond the surface, who are going into right. the things that to make a fan base more educated, mm-hmm. to make a fan base more connected to its team, and to kind of like dis, really just dispel a lot of nonsense that occurs over the course of an NFL season. Yeah. And I, it's just it's it's more, it's, it's your passion, it's your career, but it's also a service, dude. You do a great service and all of you guys do a great service. Appreciate that, man. And obviously you're a hundred percent a part of that too. You know what I mean? Not only just with the, with the saints, but also with the Pelicans and all the work that you do around too. I saw you calling, calling a high school game the other day. Like, I mean, you know, like it, it, it's crazy watching people's grind. I put it out on Twitter the other day. I was like, it, it's just so incredible. You're just watching all of the local work that's coming out from people and whether they're independent or they're, or they're, you know, operating under another institution or anything like that. Like just the, the, the work has been outstanding and people are doing it well. It's not just that it's saturated. It's that like, it's good work. Like everybody's doing such good work right now and everybody is, is contributing to that service. So, so I appreciate that. And I'm very grateful to, to be a part of this group that, that is doing that for the city of new Orleans and for, for the state of Louisiana, which I, I love so much, you know, and like, it's, it's my home, man. And so, you know, it's our home. And so, uh, you know, those, you know, everybody that's involved in that. And so it's just like, it, it's an incredible thing. It's a incredible thing to be a part of. Yep. And, and Hey, it, it brought us together. And to me, yep. that, that, that's just been a huge bonus, man. And I look forward to doing this again next Wednesday. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. See you on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, stay safe too, man. Stay safe. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready to go pick up my baby girl from school, so I gotta yeah, go ahead yeah. and do that as school gets <laughs> out. So for Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. Once again, this has been the Dome Patrol. We will talk to y'all again next Wednesday, and don't forget to check out every episode of Hard to Paint. Please subscribe. Please rate the show and. Go check out Canal Street Chronicles for a lot of great work there as well. Till the next time, y'all have a good one. All right, my brother.